Well, this morning we're going to continue in our, in our uh, major truths in the minor prophets. We've been walking through just some major themes throughout the minor prophets. Thought it was really important to do this because these are often the books, as I've said before, where your pages are stuck together in your Bible. Because we just, we just don't study the minor prophets very much. You've probably heard, other than, the, other than the book of Jonah, which is a really fun one, you've probably heard very few sermons from there. And so really, if we truly believe that the entire Bible is the counsel of God's word, we wanted to walk through some of the major themes in the minor prophets. And today we find ourselves in the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai. It goes Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, okay? And so Haggai, turn there if you would. And as you're doing that, let me just sort of set up the theme for this morning. I know I've said this before, but let me stress it again. I do believe that every generation within the church of God has some things that we do really, really well, perhaps better than the previous generation. And some things that I believe are blind spots to us. Talked about this before. In previous generations, I think many would agree that that the blind spot there perhaps could have been the issue of legalism, right? Being extremely rigid in certain things and really having sort of an extra, sort of adding some rules um, to Scripture, sort of extra biblical rules that we think will help to grow us in holiness or grow us in our standing before God. And I think it is good that we've moved away from that some. Here's where I think we've gone wrong. Is as sinful people, we tend to go one stream of the, you know, one extreme to the other without really finding balance. And so for this generation, my generation, the millennial generation, you know what I think our biggest blind spot is? A lack of pursuit of personal holiness. A lack of pursuit of personal holiness. Holiness is not an attractive concept in America today, in our culture today, and even in the younger generation of the church We think of it as sterile, boring, colorless. But that is because we've really rebelled against a previous blind spot and gone way too far to the other extreme. We often talk about holiness as synonymous with legalism. It is not. Or it's simply uncool, unfun. It's a killjoy and even a hamper on us being missional in our world for Christ, which, by the way, is ridiculous. As if becoming more like Jesus, living more like Jesus, speaking more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus is somehow going to turn off the world to Jesus. Does that make any sense? Holiness has moved from essential to dull. However, the great C.S. Lewis once said this, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. It really is. If you've ever been around someone who's not prideful, 
who's not trying to put on a show, but they just genuinely love the Lord and in every area of their life are serious about honoring Him, living like Him, and living for Him. It is incredible. I've been around a few of those people in my life. Some lay people, some other pastors. And it is just incredible to see the Lord working through them. But it's also convicting. And listen, it's also essential for the Christian. And it's essential if we desire God's blessing on our lives and our ministry. As Christians, what should be the number one thing that we want in our lives? It should be the blessing of God upon us. Not that he gives us all sort of monetary blessings or anything, but that God's hand of approval is on our lives, our families, and our ministry. And as we turn to the book of Haggai today, chapter 2, verses 10 through 19, we see the essential call to holiness. It's reinforced for us that God's blessing is on the lives of those that have first been made right with God and second are serious about personal holiness. Haggai had received and conveyed two messages from the Lord already. He's writing to the southern kingdom. Remember, the southern kingdom is Judah and uh, and Benjamin. This was after the Babylonian captivity. And so the, uh, the northern kingdom went with the Assyrians and they never came back. But God delivered the southern kingdom from the Babylonians. And now they are moving to rebuild the temple of the Lord. The first message was a challenge for the people to consider their ways. The second message in the, in the book was a message from the Lord that was a challenge for them to consider the Lord. And now it's about two months later and Haggai receives another message to share with the people. And this message was in regard to their actions, their way of life, their character, and their pursuit of personal holiness, and just how essential it is if they are to have God's blessing on their lives. And so we are 2,500 years after this message has been delivered, and, and friends, it is as relevant today as it was back then. God's character has not changed. His gospel has not changed. His expectation of those who say that they follow him has not changed. And his requirement for the blessing on our lives, our ministries, our families, and everything that we do has not changed. So let's read our text this morning, beginning in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius... The word of the Lord came by Haggai to the prophet. Let me pause right there. It's very rare in scripture where we know the exact day that something happens, okay? Historically, we know that the ninth month in the Jewish calendar was December. This would have been December 18th, 520 BC. We know the exact day because the author has given this to us. Darius was the king of Persia. The Medes and the Persians overtook Babylon. And you might remember that name 
uh, Darius from the book of Daniel because this is the king that, that reluctantly threw Daniel into the lion's den. Okay, that's the time period that we are in right now. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The prophets answered, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before the stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to heap of 20 measures, there was but 10. When one came uh, to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was but 20. It struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet did, uh, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Let me walk through this passage and try to sort of uh, bring it into, the, into some modern day application for us. Let me share with you some key truths of challenge today and some action steps. Number one, very, very simply, about as easy as you can put it, God blesses holy living. If you're following along with our bulletin, that's number one. God blesses holy living. You can't get much simpler than that. He does. He blesses holy living. And remember, for the life of the Christian, there should be nothing more important to us that our lives have the blessing of God upon it. We may be fruitful in this life and did all sorts of things and have all kind of success, and yet when we stand before the Lord God one day, all that's going to matter is whether or not he says, well done, good and faithful servant. God's blessing upon our lives, our ministries, our family, that in the end is what matters because that is eternal. Everything else is temporal. And so Haggai really causes us to Think about two action steps this morning. Letter A, examine your heart. For holiness comes through inward change. Examine your heart today, all of us, because holiness comes through inward change. Through the prophet Haggai in verses 10 through 13, Haggai really asked two questions, and, and to the credit of the priest, they get both of them right. Okay? Number one was this, if a man carries holy meat, okay, this is meat offered in a sacrifice, in the fold of his garment, and touches bread or other food with the garment, will that food become holy, right? And so, basically, you, you take this holy meat, and you rub it up against your garment, and then you touch other things with it, um, is there somehow a transfer of holiness here? The priest rightly answered, no. No, that, that doesn't make any sense. 
And yet, that's sometimes, it's certainly how the Israelites were thinking, that, that somehow they could like ignore the Lord in some things, right? They, they were kind of being lazy in the rebuilding of the temple that God had commissioned them to do. But they thought that somehow if they came to the, to the temple and they offered up these like holy sacrifices and they were in this holy environment, that somehow that would rub off on them. And friends, I think the same is true today, is it not? We think that, that holiness is somehow contagious, and it's not. Holiness is not contagious. It's like health, right? If I'm healthy and you're sick, if I walk up to you and start coughing in your face, or I start rubbing your arm, is that going to make you better? No. Health is not contagious, Holiness is the same way. You hang around the God crowd. You come here every Sunday morning. We are, or those who know Christ the Savior are not going to be able to transfer holiness to you. Holiness comes through inward change. Righteousness is not transferred by physical contact or proximity doesn't matter who you hang around. It may alter some of your behavior for the good, which is good, but it will never do one ounce of good as far as whether or not you have the blessing of God and have a right standing before God. Does that make sense? Hanging around people that know Jesus and are, and are serious about, about being holy could have a positive influence on your life. It can do zero to bring you into a holy and righteous standing before God. Why? Holiness only comes through inward change. What do I mean by that? You see, there's nothing that we can do on our own to cause ourselves to be holy. There's no amount of good works you can do to cause yourself to be holy. And that includes doing good things, being around good people, even being in a place of worship. Scripture tells us that none of us can do anything to cause ourselves to be holy. And that's why the hero of Scripture is Jesus. Because God knew that there was nothing that we could do to earn his salvation. And so what did he do? He sent the perfect, righteous, and holy one to die in our place. To take on all of our sin. So that by grace, through faith, as we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, the holiness and righteousness of God, of Jesus, is credited to our account. It changes us from the inside out and changes our eternal standing before God. That is the only way that any of us can become holy. Righteousness and holiness or initial sanctification that declaration of God at the moment of salvation and the washing or the renewing of our inner man at the moment of salvation is obtained by grace through faith alone in Jesus. Merely attending services at the temple, offering up sacrifices, singing harmony during worship this morning, none of that makes a lick of difference before a holy and righteous God. The second question that was asked was whether an unclean object 
could defile something that was previously clean? The proper answer was yes. Haggai's second point here is that while holiness, unfortunately, is not contagious, defilement is. You see, we caught the contagion at the moment that Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. Because of one man's sin, sin entered into the world, Scripture says. And death came as a result. The moment Adam sinned, all of us became guilty. All of us are born with a sin nature. We caught that contagion from Adam. We are born in sin. But not only that, not only are we sinners, but sin around us has a defiling effect, does it not? While holiness is not contagious, you better believe sin is. Let's go back to, to, to health and couple it with sickness, right? At school, kids pick up germs from other kids and then they bring those germs home. It doesn't take a lot of work to get sick in the house, but it takes a lot of work to like quarantine things off so that everybody doesn't get sick. My wife spends like two-thirds of the year sick as can be because of, you know, we can't stop kissing our little one Chase and he just gets us all sick right? Getting sick is not hard. Why? Because sickness is contagious, while unfortunately healthiness is not. Sin is like that. You don't pick up holiness antibodies by hanging around holy people, but you sure do pick up sin viruses by being overwhelmed and immersed in sinfulness. You see, we tend to think just the opposite. And really what I'm talking about right now is really for us as believers. We tend to think the opposite is true. Those who have already been made holy in Christ, but now are called to live a holy and righteous life. Here's where I think we get some things wrong. We tend to think the opposite. We tend to think that if we hang out in in the church buildings and around Christian friends, surely that will rub off on us. However... We can go and sit in the midst of sinfulness all the time, surround ourselves with sinfulness, even partake of some of that, and think that it will have no effect on our lives. We tend to think the opposite of what Scripture is teaching us here. Holiness comes only through inward change, through relationship with Christ. As we grow in holiness by walking with Christ, We must be careful not to allow the onslaught of sinfulness to permeate our lives. Listen, we should be missional. I talk about this all the time. You should have unbelieving friends. You should be in the world. But listen, don't forget that last part. Be in the world, but not of it. You should be in the world. Loving people serving people, befriending people, but also on guard. If we are serious about holiness, we must recognize the ways of the world and recognize that the ways of the world and the ways of Christ, listen, they are not compatible. Therefore, to be molded more into the image of Christ, we must be serious about being on guard against sin. Corey and I, our other staff member, were at a wonderful training this week by Dr. Lawless, um, who is a senior professor at Southeastern Seminary. And 
uh, he said a lot of amazing things, but I tend to fixate on like those funny quotes. And so if I were to like crystallize his talk, he might not be happy about this. But he had a great quote this week. And here it is. Very simply, there's nothing godly about being stupid. And I, I thought, you know what? That's funny. I laughed. That is absolutely right. Friends, there's nothing godly about being stupid when it comes to sin. Nothing godly about saying, oh, I'm just trying to reach people. I'm just... And what happens is, you better believe, sin ends up rubbing off far more on you than your holiness does on sinfulness. Remember, holiness is not contagious, but you better believe sin is. Let us live godly, cautioned, intentional lives, effective for Jesus, and on guard when it comes to the defilement of sin. Then let her be, and I'm going to move quickly. I spent a lot of time there. Examine your life, for God blesses the causes of holy people. Examine your life, because God blesses the causes of holy people. Let me read verse 14 again. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation there uh, before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and, and what they offer is unclean. Here's what he's saying. You guys are doing all sorts of things. You, you are religiously busy. And none of that makes a difference in my eyes because you're unclean. The temple was the greatest cause on earth in that day. God would manifest his presence and his glory to his people. Sacrifice for sins would be offered there. These people were offering sacrifices and going through the prescribed rituals, but their hearts were not right before God. And they were not living holy lives. The contamination of their disobedience was defiling the very sacrifices that they offered. Friends, the same is true with us today. It should be a challenge to the modern church of God today. Busyness will never translate into holiness. Busyness will never translate into holiness. There is no substitute for the power of God in our midst. And his power will never be enjoyed by those with unclean hands and hearts. Let this be a warning to us as the church. Okay? Because a lot of times we think that to be effective, we have to like look, look without. And what I mean by is we have to look at effective methods and, and effective things. And listen, I, I'm working on, a, on, on some things and thinking through some things to, to allow our church to be more effective in the future. But listen, number one, here's what we should do. Instead of looking outside to, to methods, let us look within. Here's the truth of this text. God's blessing will not be on the church of seven hills, on seven hills, if sin abounds here. God's blessing will not be on the church of seven hills, no matter how busy, no matter how great our ministry, it doesn't matter. If sin abounds here and its members are not seeking holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our work and our worship will not be pleasing to the Lord. That should be a warning to us. 
Not to examine whether we show up on Sunday morning or we show up to growth group or we show up to the Easter extravaganza or we show up to other ministries that we do in the community or we send money, you know, all throughout North America or around the world for missions. We can do all of that stuff and still not have God's blessing on our ministry. Think about that. Perhaps we might want to start thinking about not as much about what are we doing, but about who we are. In our day, the church, in the spiritual sense, is the greatest cause in the world. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. The church being people, not buildings is God's temple, where he dwells and makes himself known on earth today. But Haggai's words is this, you can be involved to the hilt in the local community. You can do all this great stuff, but if your heart is not clean before God, and and if the church is not serious about becoming more like Jesus, we're defiling everything that we touch. As we all know, they're professing Christians who build multi-million dollar ministries or on TV and in the national news and tell everybody that they know how to get God's blessing on your life and it's always financially or health. But if they're not broken or and contrite of heart, if they're not striving against sin and for holiness on the heart level, that's just like slick showmanship and business. You can be in the church business and grow a ministry and not have the blessing of God. God's true blessing is not on unholy people. You can have all sorts of worldly worldly success, and that, that is why the church should never adopt an attitude for anything that is an ends justifies the means type of thing. Look how great our ministry is, so therefore how we got there doesn't matter. Look at Look how many people are coming, and so the, so the spiritual condition of the church doesn't matter. No, we've got to get that right first, friends. Because listen, we can have all the glitz and glamour and a ton of people and not have the blessing of God. The godly 19th century Scottish, uh, uh, Scottish pastor Robert Murray McChaney said this, according to your holiness, so shall be your true success. A holy man is an awesome weapon in the hands of God. Let me ask you this. Are you outwardly religious only, or are you inwardly holy and growing in holiness? God's blessing is on those who know him and are committed to holy motivations and living. Number two, God blesses holy priorities. He blesses holy lives. He blesses holy priorities. Letter A, what are we to do then? Recognize the judgment of God for unholy priorities. He says it negatively and positively here. Recognize the judgment of God for unholy priorities and respond in repentance. You see, in verses 15 through 18, we find this, that God had brought some judgment to the people there, right? 
He said, think back of, 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 upon your most recent harvest. You thought you were going to get 50 bushels of something, and you ended up getting 20. You thought you were going to get 20 of something, you ended up getting 10. This was God's judgment. Now listen, we can't always read God's providence in our lives through our situation. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Just because something is going bad in your life doesn't always mean it's the judgment of God. Just because you're having some earthly success in your life doesn't always mean it's God's blessing, right? We, did, you know, we just learned that. You can have worldly success and not have the blessing of God. I believe the same is also true. You can have hardship in life and it not necessarily be the judgment of God. But here's what should happen when those moments come, okay? When hardship comes, when difficulty comes, when you, when you see that something God has called you to do is not growing, is not being fruitful, we should at least ask this question. Do I have God's blessing on my life? That should at least be some, some inward introspection on our lives. Okay, all this is going south. Is there anything in my life, is there anything in my heart, in my motivations, in my mind, in my life that is unpleasing to the Lord that might be stunting God's blessing in my life? It's a question we should be asking. Now, it, it may very well be that God is just testing your life to grow you, not to judge you. But as Christians, we must be willing to ask the question. And then, if we come up with the answer that, you know what? Perhaps God's judgment is on me because my life is a mess. There is one response, and that's repentance. Don't run further and further away. Don't try to do more good things. Bow your knee and repent before the Lord. That's what Haggai calls the nation of Israel to do, and that's what God calls, calls us to do. The rhythm of repentance in the life of the believer should be constant. We should be a repenting people, constantly doing introspection in our lives. And when God brings to mind and to heart ways that we are dishonoring him, we should have a constant spirit of repentance. God's blessing are on the holy. God blesses those who live, who, who have repented of sin and trusted Christ, and then live a daily rhythm of repentance when sin is identified. The only response of the Christian, when we believe that that God is bringing hardship for the purpose of calling us out of sinfulness, the only response should be repentance. How do you receive God's blessing in the midst of sin? Repent. 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 But listen, repentance is not just, hey God, I'm sorry. Repentance literally means I am fixated on something that is sinful I am now turning my back on that and, and turning my life toward Christ. Does that make sense? It's not just, God, I'm sorry, but I'm going to remain. It's no, I am forsaking and I'm moving in another direction. That is repentance. You find yourself there this morning. Repent. 
And then finally, letter B. Resolve to seeking the Lord's priorities first and be assured of God's blessing. There is hope. Verse 19 shows us that even though Israel had been unfaithful, they had slacked off in the building of God's temple, and God had even brought some judgment on them. Not eternal judgment, but some temporal judgment. And yet, when repentance comes, blessing follows. That's the beauty of Scripture, is that there is, God is both just and loving. He is just and gracious. There is judgment for sin, but there's also the hope of salvation. Verses 15 through 17 show us judgment for sin. Verse 19 shows us the hope of God's grace and his blessing. Repent and receive God's blessing. Verse 19, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. So far, they've yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. When we obey God, life is fruitful. God said life was hard before, but that's because of disobedience. From this day on, things will change. Now, they were hard before because God was judging them, not just testing them, okay? Now, because you're building my house instead of living for yourselves, now that you're obeying, I will bless you. God is generous. If we obey, he will bless. But remember... God will, will bring about fruitfulness, but recognize this, fruit does not grow overnight. Haggai asks an intriguing question in verse 19. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? The answer was no. Why? Because all that seed had just been planted. It's December in Israel. The seed would not be in the barn because they had just planted it in the field. Yet on that December day, speaking for God, Haggai made a prediction. There was going to be an overabundance of crops this year. It's the middle of winter time. No sensible agricultural expert would dare predict the quality of next year's harvest in the middle of winter. Especially when last year's harvest was terrible. There was 50 to 60% less crops last year than the years before. It would make a lot more sense to wait a month or two to observe the weather patterns and assess the amount of, of precipitation. But Haggai doesn't do that. He knows that repentance is here now. And so he predicts a bountiful harvest. Not because of inside information or weather conditions. He predicted it because he saw repentance and, and, revi and a uh, revived condition in the heart of the people. They were right with God, and since they were right with God, they were ready for God's blessing. Granted, it hadn't come yet. Fruit doesn't grow overnight, as I just said. The seed was still in the soil. It takes time to see fruit. It takes patience. It takes faith. 
but the fruit will come. Friends, perhaps you're in a waiting time right now. Maybe you're in sin and need to repent. Maybe you've repented, but you're just not seeing the kind of fruit and growth in your life that you would like. Perhaps you're wondering if this holiness thing is even worth it. Let me encourage you to be encouraged that the harvest will come. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Set your life, your priorities on God's kingdom, not your own. Seek his righteousness, not your own. And what does he say? And all of these things will be given unto you. Now listen, I must add this. We may not see a lot of results in our lifetime. It may only be an eternity where God will reveal what the rewards are for sacrifice and obedience. Many missionaries have labored for years in dependence on God with very little visible fruit. But because they were obedient before him, I believe that God will bless their labors. And so here's the point. You may not see a lot of tangible temporal fruit here on earth, but isn't eternity far more important? Isn't God's rewards in eternity far more important than anything you could see here on earth? I agree with one theologian who said it often happens that those who sincerely and from the heart serve God are deprived of earthly blessing because God intends to elevate their minds to the hope of eternal reward. We need to keep this perspective. But let's ask the Lord for his blessing on all that we do. And let us be dependent on the Lord in all that we do. As I close today, let me bring your attention to something in the text that I haven't noted yet. Three times God repeats the same phrase here in verses 15 and 18. Consider, consider, consider. It literally means to set your heart or to fix your attention on something. What God wants us to, con to consider is if we seek first his kingdom from righteous holy hearts today, he will bless us. So we need to take frequent inventory of our lives. If the blessing of God depends upon being positionally holy in Christ, we have the righteousness and the holiness of Christ on our account. If spiritual fruit and eternal reward for the Christian is, is dependent on growing more and more into the image of God as a believer, if that's true, then we have some work to do as far as some spiritual inventory is. Let me give you just a couple things to examine your heart today. A few questions. Do I frequently spend time alone before God in his word? And in prayer? Do I build into my life protection and accountability in order to not make any provision of sin in my life so that it may easily entangle me and defile me? Am I completely truthful in my closest relationships or do I put on a mask of hypocrisy through deception? Is my love for Jesus Christ so fervent and vital because I think often on what he has done for me on the cross? 
And then finally, do I truly want God's blessing on my life, on my family, on my ministry? Or do I, what I really want is earthly success? Remember, friends, God did not allow the Israelites to be satisfied with spiritual activity without spiritual vitality. He did not allow them to enjoy temporary success and surplus in order to teach them about the eternal joy that comes in him. This morning, he's reminding us of these truths as well. That as long, that, that as we long for a blessed life, we must, find the pers- we must find it in pursuing his will and turning away from sin. My call on all of us this morning is that we would prioritize the kingdom of God and his righteousness this week rather than our own kingdom and relying on our own righteousness. Pursuing holiness and practicing repentance is the path to God's blessing on our lives, our ministries, and our families. I pray that you'd be challenged by that today. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word this morning, Father. We thank you for the challenge it is, even when it pokes and it prods us and it, and it touches the deepest parts of our souls and the deepest parts of our sinfulness. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts but also convict our hearts today. That we might be made right with you if we have not trusted you as Lord and Savior already. That this morning we would be declared holy in your sight because of our repentance and faith in the holiness and the righteousness of your son Jesus credited to our account. For each and every believer this morning, I pray that personal holiness will become a passion of all of our lives. For we recognize that we cannot have your blessing on our our lives without a pursuit of becoming more and more like your son Jesus. Remind us, convict us, challenge us in this, this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.